Ben and Ben, and uh, we are at Dirt Fest last day, third day. Third day. And we are trying to defog still. You are? <laughs> yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Man. I'm going to actually uh, didn't do it. try to power. Okay. Gotcha. Power through here. <laughs> nice. And we have a, uh, a, a guest, a uh, part time guest host, actually, Tim Krieger. He's jumping in on this one because we're going to be talking about vintage bikes. So we have Martin. Martin, what's keep? Martin Kazachek. Kazachek. All right. Pronounces just like it's spelled. All right. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he is a uh, writer for Dirt Rag. You have some other stuff going on, I think. Yep. Um, how about you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah. Yeah. So Martin, um, you know, I'm a, I guess a collector enthusiast of vintage mountain bikes. Um, I restore, collect, ride old bikes. I have a little blog, Second Spin Cycles. Uh, it's sort of just the side hustle. Um, and then got hooked up with Dirt Rag last year. Um, there was a guy, uh, Jeff Archer, that used to have, um, yeah. used to have a column. Um, he owned a museum and a big bike shop down in uh, Statesville, North Carolina. Okay. And Jeff died, uh, got hit by a drunk driver a few years back, so oh. there was sort of a void. And I got connected with Dirt Rag through the Purple Lizard map guys, mm-hmm. who are friends from State College, where I grew up. Um, you know, one thing led to another and started writing this short little column just featuring, you know, a bike and issue and talking about why this bike is important and why should anyone care about the fact that it, you know, existed at one point in time. And so here at Dirt Fest, have a little booth showing some bikes and trying to kind of build up a little more excitement, enthusiasm around the vintage scene and, you know, see where it takes us from here. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and you had briefly said that you're not a vintage guy that buys bikes and hangs them on his wall. You're riding your newest bike right now. What is? Just tell everybody what your newest newest bike to you is. Yeah, my newest and most advanced bike, and by like a country mile, is a '97 uh, Titanium WTB Phoenix. Wilderness Trail bikes. Wilderness Trail bike Phoenix, WTB, right? Yeah. Back when they used to make bikes. That's right. Um, so it's a tie bike welded by Steve Potts. It's, you know, it's got a suspension fork, a Rockshock Judy with, you know, maybe an inch and three quarter travel and roller cam brakes and eight speed XTR, you know, with a Suntour three, yeah, three ring front. Of the same time period. Same time period. Yeah, it's all pretty much yep. period correct. I yep. Actually, the parts are a little older than the bike, but that's my sort of go-to whip. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's by far the newest bike I have. You know, most of my bikes are from the very late 80s, early 90s, you know, fully rigid, thumb shifters for the most part. Um, so what are, what are some of those other bikes? Give us a rundown. I want to hear like components because you start geeking out and you just you love it. Yeah. So let's hear some of the. Um, so I started riding in the late '80s as a kid. Um, so I kind of just you know stuck in that area, right? You know, kind of didn't mature past that technology. <laughs> right. And okay. So you know, from the you know my oldest bike that I ride actively is um, an '87 Mantis Valkyrie, which is uh, I don't I didn't bring it here, but it's like a super crazy bike. It's uh, like an X frame. Mm-hmm. It's got twin laterals, bisecting the head tube. I mean, it's got like 28 different tubes on it. Um, so Richard Cunningham, the okay, yeah. of pink bike, okay. was the, the brainchild behind Mantis, um, you know, while mountain bike action was starting. It's a killer bike. It really it really rides nice um, okay. for that era. Right. Um, so that's an yeah, 86, 87. And then I have a bunch of bikes from the late 80s, uh, you know, some Grove Innovations for those, you know, Pennsylvania fans. Um had a couple fats, uh, Merlin, Merlin okay, Titanium yeah. is one of my favorites. Um, Any Deans? No, 
No, I, I really, as far as Thai, I've always kind of been a Merlin Yeah, okay, fan. sure. But, you know, you got the Lightspeeds, right. Deems, right. Clark Kent, MRC. I mean, there's a there's a ton of Thai when that exploded on the scene. Yeah. But I, growing up on the East Coast, you know, Merlin was sort of the one that I always sure. remembered. So yeah. that that's what I've got. Um, a couple West Coast bikes. I have, like, the whole WTB lineup. So I have the Cunningham, which is mm-hmm. Charlie Cunningham, back when he built bikes. And then a Steel and a Thai Phoenix. Um, just trying to think what else is on the wall. IRD Stroker, if you guys ever heard wow. of that. Wow. Yep. 200, 210 millimeter cranks, 25 <laughs> inch top tube. Really? Yep. <laughs> Yeah. How do you how do you ride that? Slowly hitting. <laughs> Jeez. Slowly. Oh, that's funny. Why did they do it? Lev- leverage on on leverage. He okay. Rod Moses, you know, brilliant oh. engineer, yeah. zany guy. Um, you know, was really anti 170, 175 cranks and that yeah. sort of fast, you know, roadie RPMs. Yeah. And so let's thought, see what we could do. Take it yeah. to the extreme. Yeah. So his bike, his personal bike, a two hundred thirty millimeter cranks. Which is funny because, you know, we, we talk sometimes about, well, on some of the uh, other MBR um, shows, talk about, you know, some of the extremes that went to with building carbon frames. How light can we get it, right? That's been going on for years in the cycling oh, yeah. industry. Just the how far can we take this technology yeah. and then dial it before back we realize that it's not, right. yeah, okay, that, there's the line. We, we clearly found it. Yeah, and same with aluminum and tie. You know, right. Merlin started with you know apparently the early Merlin bikes. I don't know if this is true, but this, the rumor I heard is the first few bikes, they literally bought the titanium tubing from the same suppliers that provided them to the Navy or whoever the Navy contractors were for for um, plumbing the water cooling nuclear reactors in submarines. Wow! Like so, so I, I don't know no, no, if that's, that's true, true but I right. but I've heard that several times because they're just no one. Like where would you go where would you for get titanium right, tubing right. in nineteen eighty six? Really tough, yeah. So if you look at some of those early bikes, you know the tubing came in like two sizes. That's that's all you had. So you try to press in bearings into a tube. You know they had to like swage them from the inside. So you look at them, they like flare out mm-hmm. and have these custom shapes. But then by the time the mid nineties rolled around, they were selling enough bikes. They could draw their own tubing. So you get these bikes with triple and. I don't know if they ever got to like quad butted tubes, but you know, crazy stuff. And aluminum did the same. Personally, I think those bikes didn't ride that well. I like the thicker gauge tubing. But yeah, it was, it was nuts. They just the did what they could with what they had. Right. There was no playbook, right? Yeah. Now people have the advantage of all the failures and the, the misses from those guys to see what works. Um, and I have a really early carbon bike over there that was a pre Calfee. Yeah. That uh, Craig Calfee made as carbon frames for Greg LeMond. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the first sort of all carbon bikes. And it's just carbon tubes lashed together with like a carbon <laughs> twine. I mean, okay. it looks wow. like one of his bamboo bikes. Wow. It's, it's nuts. And you would not want to ride this thing. No. No, no. It's super flexy and you just don't trust it. <laughs> Wet noodle? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Big time. Big time. <laughs> On ice skates. Yeah. On ice skates. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it for you, Martin, about vintage bikes? That really, I mean, you kind of said like you, you just got stuck in that sort of, you never matured beyond that point, but you've also been members of, uh, or a member of this kind of growing club of vintage appreciators, vintage aficionados, vintage riders. So talk a little bit about that. You know, it, it changes, it evolves. I mean, as I, you know, you kind of want to relive your childhood fantasies. That's sort of how it starts where... 
you know, I don't know, I was not a wealthy family, and, you know, I had a trek of some sort, and I rode that, or my dad's Jameis, but you always lusted after this thing and that thing. So started as, like, checking off these boxes of things that I wanted as a kid that now I can pseudo-afford. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into it, and I think many people get into it that way, where you either maybe want to relive the bike you had as a kid, literally that, that exact same bike, yeah. and people do that, and that's cool. Um, or the ones you couldn't afford. And then from there, you get into the community and you learn about these other bikes that, you know, I never heard about WTB as a kid. They didn't have a presence on the East Coast. You know, you had Cannondales and Specialized. So then it kind of evolves. It's like, well, I want to try that. And you kind of make your way through it. And then, you know, for me, it's kind of gotten into finding the the evolutionary steps pre-suspension vintage suspension is terrible <laughs> I mean I, I really I don't ride vintage suspension bikes they're just bad it's just not fun for me um, whereas like a hardtail you can really still ride a vintage hardtail I mean yeah. have a really good time so I really now really like looking at the sort of the quirky bikes and things that you know push the boundaries of, of geometry and tried went nuts like 74 degree head angle like just go way off the wall and see what that's like yeah um or, or bikes that you know pioneered boost spacing in the 90s you know doug bradbury with his manitous and kind of see how that all worked um and kind of just build up that knowledge and talk about it i mean for me it's really it's now less about the bikes and a little more about talking to people about the bikes and i, f- I find that interesting right. more so so i f- try to find the bikes that pushed that envelope and weren't just the oh we made you know, 10,000 of these things or whatever. Well, and it's cool because you have that Manitou with you that has boost spacing on it. And to have that technology exist back then, and it is like the hot subject matter right now. Oh, is it boost? Is it not? I mean, it's we're kind of like a couple years past that point at this yeah. point. But that's from that technology was back then. Yeah. That, you know, it never caught on. And that's what I find fascinating about things is oftentimes you come up with these technologies and they're just before their time. Right? I mean, these people have these visions or good ideas that they're like, why isn't it done like this? And so, are there other things like that too that you notice that we're doing now or trending towards now that was something that somebody did in the 90s or like 10 not, years ago? Not wide handlebars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. like if you look back in the 90s or whatever, was there. <laughs> well, uh, no. so that yeah. bike has a remote dropper pose too. Right from the late 80s, where it's got a quick release under the bar and then like a little cam actuated um, cam instead of a quick release, right? And then a spring on the post. And when it works, then that's the problem, right? The technology wasn't there to make it efficient and effective. The, the concept was, the idea was. Yeah, right. They're just the execution wasn't there. But when it works, you open the, the quick release, you, you just plop your ass down. And then you close the quick release and it holds the seat down. And then when you want it open, you pop the quick release and the spring boosts it back up. You get, you know, inch and a half, maybe two inches of drop. But still, like that was there. Like it exists. Like I didn't make that. Like that's from the late 80s. So that's one. You know, you've got Boost. We talked about that. And that, you know, Charlie Cunningham and Doug were running boosted hubs in 87. 115, 118 in the front and 145 in the rear. So where do they get the hubs for that? They made them. They just yeah. turned them on a lathe. Yeah. You know, like they took the, you guys have heard like the bullseye hub, the three-piece shell where you've got the two flanges and then a cylinder in the middle. They just cut them, okay. put a wider cylinder, and, you know, you had a much stronger wheel. So, you know, they were running 28-spoke wheels when everybody else was running 36s, and it worked. Um, what else? I mean, you know, obviously early suspension, right? 
I mean, disc brakes have been around for a long time, but yeah. again, they. Didn't when were work. the earliest disc brakes that you saw bike on bikes? Um, Do you well, know, Hobo started dabbling in them a long time ago, didn't they? So, I mean, you could go way back and like you could get you know disc brakes on your like Schwinn you know Apple Crate bike as a you know kid in the '60s. I mean, going way way back. But I think for mountain bikes, um, Pro Stop was a company that was around in the. I want to say the late 80s, but probably like 90, 91. Okay. Um, and they had a, you know, a massive, and the thing had to be an 8-inch rotor, like a solid 8-inch rotor <laughs> okay. that floated on these bushings. And then they had a cable actuated, but a hydraulic. Okay. Um, caliper. Yeah, hydraulic caliper, right? Um, and it came with these upside-down suspenders, forks, and guys ran them, I mean, in like the kamikaze and all those events. Right. And, you know, they had a lot of drag on it. You wouldn't ride it cross-country. But, you know, they were on the market in the 91, 92, and they worked. Um, and then other companies, like you said, Hope, and others came in, and they were the standard, you know, went back and forth and all that, which is kind of the time I started tuning out of mountain bikes um, and just did other stuff. But, um, yeah, trying to think of what else. I mean, obviously, the material technology yeah. was big, right? Early carbon, you know, people went different ways with it. Um, well, and it's not one of your bikes, but we had a gentleman ride by with his Yeti uh, C26. Yeah, right. Which is an Eason carbon-wrapped aluminum tube. Yep. And Glued. He, right, right. And uh, he had the uh, Tioga uh, uh, disc wheel on there as well. Yeah. And it's just like the... It's easy to start geeking out as soon as one of these bikes roll past. So when are we going to see disc wheels again? That's got to ah. be the next thing. Wow. Well, oval chain rings, that's the other one, right? Shimano Biopace. Right. Famously crash and burn product <laughs> right. in the in the mid-80s. I mean, like, famously, you know, just terrible. And you hear the rumors of people like, well, if you clock them 60 degrees, then they work. But now you've got oval rings coming right. back. And I, mean, I haven't tried them, but apparently people like them, right? So that's another that, that yeah. I think, um, yeah. Do you have a bike with Biopace on it? I do. I don't ride it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, I've ridden it, but I just don't ride it. Right. And, you know, I, I tend to take those off. Um, and that's kind of most of it. You know, people messed with one by and two by early on, but you just couldn't get that massive bailout gear in the back. So, like, okay. 34 was pretty yeah. epic if you could find right. one. But you had to make your own freewheels. So some people did that. I have a couple bikes that are two by and are rideable, right. legitimately rideable. But that, that's kind of it, I think. Yeah. yeah, disc wheels. We're going to see the comeback of disc wheels. Yeah, you've oh, heard it from words. Martin first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't um. know about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, can you see one of these? You know, like the LCATs that's sitting right here. Uh, no, <laughs> just from an aesthetics point of view, it's I don't see it happening. Well, the downhill changed, right? You used to have downhill was guys bombing down the kamikaze as right. fast as they could go in right. skin suits. I mean, you had bikes with like, you know, fairings, fed, like fairings yeah. helmets. You know, they were all about the slipstream and, right. and going super fast. That's not the downhill scene anymore. But right. you bring that back and all of a sudden, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, See ya. All right. Thank you. Um, so talk. So I would. I want to hear more about the community that surrounds vintage cycling right now because it is. There's something going on on the on the West Coast right now. Yeah. And you were talking a, bit, a little bit about the events that are going out there and trying to bring that out here to the East Coast somewhat. 
Yeah, um, it's a close knit community, and it, it kind of changes. You know, people come and go. It's a hobby at the end of the day, right? So you know, people have kids and stuff, and you know, they kind of phase out of it. But um, there definitely seems to be a, sort of a, a core group of people out in the West Coast, which is you know, kind of naturally, it's sort of mountain biking kind of started for for many people. So NorCal and SoCal had a, a vibrant community, and we used to have the Keysville Classic as yeah. sort of our get together event where. Yep. I was living in LA at the time, but you'd guys fly, flying in from you know Colorado and down from Seattle, driving cross country and all that sort of thing, and you know you'd get thirty people maybe. That was a big turnout for us, but they actually gave us a class. You know we had our own two classes for pre-index, post-index, and mm-hmm. we raced the bikes through their cross country short course and the downhill through the snake pit. Um, and then I think the Santa Cruz Cabin Classic is maybe kind of picking up some of that. Keysville was canceled this year. Right. Um, so they definitely get together and, you know, there's more of a critical mass, I think. And then since I came out here and started writing for Dirt Rag and, you know, they're sort of interested in, you know, can we do something else with this vintage thing? Is, is it a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to see if we could maybe drum up some excitement and people coming out. You know, we've got the booth here and... Lots of people coming over and saying, I, I have this thing in my garage and, you know, an old Cannondale or uh, Elizabeth, who was supposed to read our, uh, lead our ride today, came out and she's like, yeah, I've got a Yo Betty, you know, a fat chance women's bike from the yeah. 90s. And so people have these things stashed away. And, you know, I mean, for most of them, it's probably just a tough bike to ride these days. Right. But, you know, it's just a different way of riding. You know, you kind of slow down a bit and, you know, you sort of like taking an old car out, right? You're not going to put the hammer down as much but you know, wind in your hair kind of thing and you just ride differently you maybe notice things a little bit differently so anyway we're trying to build some of that excitement maybe and see if uh, you know if not this year maybe next year try to get a little more participation and you know maybe have a bigger vintage ride and you know do that whole thing so I don't know, I'm, I'm hopeful there's definitely a lot of interest and a few people came out that you know didn't necessarily know we were going to be here and they were riding their old fats and you know we saw a guy on a phoenix and i saw a guy on a bontrager and a klein and they're like what what what? vintage (laughs) so i don't know maybe i mean i'm I'm hopeful that there could be an event and this seems like a kind of a good crowd for it yeah um and it's nice to have an anchor you know if we just a bunch of us get together it's you know you can do that anytime but having an anchor event with trails like this That'd be pretty cool. Trails that you can actually really get a good ride on one of those yeah. bikes. For, yeah, for real. I mean, I'm, I'm a little worried about West Virginia and how that's going to be <laughs> in these things, but give it a shot. <clears throat> yeah. So we're kind of cutting in here because Tim was helping some customers over there. Do you have any uh, favorite uh, vintage bikes or you want to say anything about the ones you saw before? Because Martin was just talking about kind of all the bikes he had. Yeah, uh, I came I came from my era of mountain bike vintage is just a slight bit newer i think than his so like i was super excited with the klein like a klein mantra like yeah i used to sell those things when i first started working in bike shops and those things are some of my favorites and they're they're so peculiar because in their age like they were sure they were seven inches of travel i want to say in the rear and that was the age when like you know the XC fork was 75 millimeters and then when the, or the DH fork was 75 millimeters and when the next year when the DH fork went to 80 millimeters people lost their collective minds yes right so that was that vintage so then but then have pair that with a seven inch travel rear end yeah. right it was just you know it was like that era like when we were all just trying to figure out what on yeah. earth was happening like, with bikes how do you ride uh, that right I know right but it's Don't just use your front brakes but the crazy yeah. thing is yeah right <laughs> like yeah, scissors those had those had, really? those, those <laughs> had a, a slight yeah. issue called brake jack yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about um, 
But uh, you know, just to see that stuff still out there, that's actually what's cool about this this festival is just to see not only are people still have them and they're proud of them or whatnot, but they're still riding them. Um, you know, which is yeah, like that guy that that rode by with that white one. Yeah, uh, he, his buddy was riding his other one, so I forgot what they were. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them was the, the Steel WTB, Phoenix, the yeah, WTB yeah. Phoenix, and what was the steel. other one? I forgot. It was that Yeti C twenty six. Yeah, so he mm-hmm. had two of them, and his buddy was riding yep. his other one. So, yep. well, and you, do like you that. see that? Do you see that when? Uh, you get like your first vintage all of a sudden it's not too long before you get your second one and it <laughs> kind of like you know people always like talk, the rest of the t- people always talk about tattoos and then you're storage unit <laughs> yeah. and, then, uh, and then you're living in it it's an yeah. addictive yeah. process right I think some people need like I need a partner for like the because like I was always I was addicted to all the parts at the time yeah so I'm not I don't actually myself I don't collect vintage bikes because some of the frames like they're cool to look at but I don't really ride them but I actually what, have yeah. I have a huge collection of vintage parts ah. right like I still have a. Do you strand. still have them? Yeah. Okay, strand. so Martin's so got suddenly got that's interested. exactly yeah. like you, you know need this, to get to bleep out his name. You might have yeah, found yeah, yeah, yeah. this find. Right, right. Remember like the SRAM, the SRAM Betsy shifters. Uh huh. I've got a full like a unused set of those because I I bought them when they first came out and then when I found a set on eBay a couple of years ago I was like, yoink, they're yeah. mine, you know, and things like and so a lot of those cool parts, Sweet Wings cranks. Yeah. Which funny yeah. enough have come full circle now we're next to Cane Creek here, right? Yep. Yeah, um, right. But the steel Sweet Wings cranks, like I collect a bunch of that stuff and i just have it sitting around because i have no bikes to bolt it to because <laughs> i don't know i you know i value also the modern improvements we made in frame design so and you know after you know riding some of our yeah. bikes i can't go back but uh but just the coolness of having those parts i still got them around and yeah, yeah. i need i need a partner so like hey you can bolt all my parts to your frames and we yeah have some cool bikes so martin he, he touches on he touches on a good point though and we you were we were joking about having that as a fine having tim as a find how do you go about doing it now that it's, you know, can you talk about how you used to do it compared to what it's like now? Yeah, I mean, you know, early on when I first was getting into this, um, so you've got your, you know, traditional like eBay, right? Anyone can find stuff on eBay and, right. and you can be creative in your searches and things like that. But at the end of the day, you have no advantage. Um, having a network helps, but Craigslist was really big. Um Whatever the two thousand, whatever the aught nines or whatever we're yeah. calling them these days. Yeah. Um, but it was really hard to search. So I, <laughs> I actually was friends with a, a computer science guy. I, I work in defense. Oh, you I, like you like. I had him. I had him write system. me a Python <laughs> script that would literally search all of Craigslist and email me um, like a download every five minutes for all the key terms. And then it was just a matter of getting to them first. I mean, it's you know it gets kind of cutthroat because I mean we yeah. have a lot of guys. I've done it, and I'm not 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 you know throwing shade, but yeah. I flipped bikes. You know, you just you do right. Sometimes you buy something; it's a good deal. You don't need it; you sell it on. You, you know, you make a little extra, whatever. Right. I try not to do that so much anymore, but a lot of people do that now. I mean, there's just a lot of guys. That's that's literally their that's their side gig. They, yeah. That's what they do. You know, they, and so and there's a market for it, obviously. And, and yeah, right. They go to swaps. They you know sell it to you know Europeans, right, where they don't have. You know, in, in Europe, there aren't these bike shops that had been around since the '80s that have these caches of things. So a lot of this stuff gets exported, um, and so it's become more cutthroat. And and I've also stopped looking as much because I've accumulated stuff, and now things kind of find me. I had you know I have my little blog and yeah, whatever. and then you do and, things like this, or you write an article or whatever it is, and all of a sudden and yeah, and then I, I just don't have enough money out. to buy this stuff. Yeah. You know, every and it's not somebody comes you know, out it's of not work that massive but you know i'll write a story on a grove and someone messages me you know i have this old grove i don't ride it you know do you want it or something like that mm-hmm. and, and you know so stuff just now kind of trickles in and 
and I've accumulated a backlog of parts and you know builds and stuff. So I'm pretty set. Always happy to find more stuff. You know, you can never run out. You know, these things wear out, and you know, eventually there'll be no more. But right. um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 tough. But again, the community is pretty cool, and and if people know that you're not just going to turn around and sell it, they'll help you out, and we, right. I do that, and they do that, and so in that regard, it's pretty cool. Um, are there any areas throughout the country? I, I don't expect you to to name uh, any shops that are like your honey hole for getting stuff. Yeah. But are there particular areas in the country that have more of more of these shops that have like some old stuff left? Are there, or is it just doesn't matter the area? Are there like I guess are there like hotbeds of like vintage parts and things that you uh, kind of s- spend more time seeking out? Yeah, or at I, least I think if I was you know really actively doing it, yeah. I'd probably you know try to find so so yeah i mean i i think so yes um i think that the colorado area was pretty big on that you know um i mean boulder and crested butte salida or something yeah. um and that area had a bunch of shops that have been around for a long time I mean, you go in there and there are vintage bikes in the rafters sure. so you know is that what you look for is if you see some vintage bikes in the rafters sure, you start yeah. asking more questions is right that- i mean and you see you used to see this a lot on, on forums and stuff someone would be People have gotten chill about it now, but you'd see just somebody, you know, kind of walked into some shop and then photographed all the stuff and put it online. And then you quickly see these people coming in like, dude, delete that, delete that, because now people will know. It doesn't happen so much anymore, but there used to be kind of a... Huh, interesting. It was was sort of cutthroat. Yeah. Uh, Less so now, I think, just because there's so many more people and the stuff just gets gets turned out. Um, But uh, Northern California had a ton of shops like that, I think. LA, I think, had a few. I mean, I remember just like randomly stumbling into a shop, not not intentionally, and there is this like, you know, complete barn find, crusted in cobwebs, old mantis, you know, one of, you know, a handful ever built, just hanging up there. I mean, the thing's filthy, nasty, dirty, but it's all there. You know, the bones are there. It's, it's your equivalent of that barn find. It's just hanging there, and the dude's like, yeah, it's my bike. You know, no big deal for him, but yeah. Yeah, he's hanging on to it, and just you know, let it be. Um, so there's, you know, occasional finds like that. And then, you know, a lot of ex-industry guys just have a ton of stuff yeah, hanging on. Right. And sure. You get to know them sometimes. You yeah. Know, they, they let some stuff fly, and, you know, it's, that's part of their history, too. So it's, I, I'm always, you know, kind of apprehensive about that. Because you know they live that. That's right. Their, you don't want to thing. Take, yeah, it's yeah. not just like someone who got something, got some use out of it, and now it's being kind of recycled in a way. Um, so, does does that lead you to some of the people who like were creators of certain things? So, like the you know developer of a certain fork or yeah. whoever it is. Does that lead you to the industry people who were instrumental yeah. in like engineering different things? And yeah, you know? I, yes. Um, so I'm a big fan, and I, and I didn't talk about them earlier, but of the Bradbury Manitous, the early pre-answer okay. Manitous. Really liked the guy's stuff, and you know, it took me years and years. I remember when I was first collecting bikes in like the late 90s, and I met Zap and he interviewed me for a schmo file for Bike Magazine, and he was like, <laughs> you know, awesome. what's the one bike you want? And I was like a Bradbury Manitou, because you just couldn't find them. They just didn't exist. You know, there's a couple hundred of them in existence. Like 10 years later, I finally found one, and it was a funny story where I was buying a, another bike from this guy, and and I he wasn't there to, to like sell the bike, so his girlfriend gave me the bike, and then he calls me on the way back, 
and he's like, sorry, I wasn't there to meet you and, you know, enjoy the bike. And if you ever find another bigger one just like it, and it was an answer man or two, like, I'd love to have it. You know, my dad, you know, went to high school with Doug and they were really good friends and he still has one of his bikes. And I remember just like jacking the brakes on the I-5, just like yeah. flipping a Huey <laughs> and going back to talk to the guy. And, you know, over time I met his dad. He had a Manitou, which again, these bikes are just, you can't find them. And then over time I got to know him. He sold me the bike. I rode the snot out of it for three years. Then he introduced me to Doug. And I met Doug and, you know, he super cool guy. And we got to talking and his mom was living in LA. He came by and he's like, hey, I have all these bikes. And he ended up selling me like 25 bikes. And, and now I know him. I, you know, I don't bug him too much, but he answers questions. He's in, into it in like a chill way. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't right. like want to be interviewed or anything, but he'll answer questions and give me some technical info. Mm-hmm. And I'm an engineer, so I tend to ask, you know, why did you do this? And, you know. Yeah. So in a few few cases have, have worked out beautifully. Okay. And a few others, not. You know, where you meet someone who were your hero and they're not that person anymore right, and right. you know they don't want to talk to you and they think you're dumb because why are you riding this old bike why don't yeah. you get a new bike so because yeah. they're past it why aren't you right exactly yeah. yeah so how many bikes do you have in your collection god will my wife hear this <laughs> no I, my personal collection of bikes that i you know truly like put in the column of martin and not like second spin projects like a dozen or 15 okay and then they come and go a little bit and i've lately have it consolidated a bit because the, the weight of it i mean it's hard to have that many bikes and keep them running i mean it's just me i'm not like a shop you know i do this right. out of my basement so it's just starting to get pretty heavy so i've i had 24 25 and i last year downsized and i'm going to try to get to like under 10 and that includes like a commuter you know i have an old fat that i you know ride to work on every now and then and haul my daughters to the park with so and your then, commuter is an old fat chance. Is an old fat chance. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, not a day on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, in the second spin box, you know, it's probably like another 40. Yeah. But they're 40? not all bike. 40, yeah. But they're like... The, they're my, projects, right? They're like a frame, maybe. And some okay. are complete, others are not. And, you know, there's some parts donors in there. And stuff kind of cycles in and out. You know, occasionally I'll give up on a project and just pass it on and... Um, but I also now started doing just a lot of restorations for other people, which yeah. sort of takes the pressure off me because I don't have to buy uh, the stuff. Yeah. I just I get to work right. on their bikes, and you know it's, it's their stuff, and I get to play with it. So it also that's why I think I've sold some stuff off that's because cool. yeah, I don't have to own it anymore to document it and write about it and all that kind of stuff. So that's yeah. made it fun and yeah. kind of a new and possibly has also expand your abilities not. Not abilities in working on that stuff, but abilities in like getting your hands on more things, yeah, right? Totally, things that you would have totally. that maybe didn't speak to you initially, but spoke to somebody else, and now you're like, oh yeah, this is cool. I understand why this is rad to you. Yeah, and all I have to do now is go ask for it. Yeah, right. I mean, it, with some people, not everyone, obviously, I don't have to you know search for it and right. find it. Which in some ways, that's the fun part, you know, yeah. the, the thrill of the chase and whatnot. But but then you know you got to buy it, and it's it's not cheap. You know, I don't have a ton of money, so yeah, it makes it it makes it a little more accessible, easier, and yeah, I get to play with stuff that otherwise I'd you know spend years yeah. trying to unearth and find. So yeah, it's kind of opened things up a little bit for sure. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. That's great. So, so what, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> standoff. Canadian standoff. Hey. Eh? <laughs> um, so what's been the most? I, I, this is a double question. What's been the most rewarding? thing for you in vintage and what's been the most frustrating piece of it for you Mm. 
of uh, kind of you know, soft side. I think the rewarding thing has been kind of meeting all these people and and having like a voice in the discussion. I mean, really. I mean, there are bikes that I've gotten that I'm very attached to, and but I could live without them any day, right? Uh-huh. But I've met a lot of really cool people and. And you know, guys like Doug, for example, and and then other just friends, so, and so I think that's been kind of the the thing. The 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 flip side of that same coin is that you know the community can be can be welcoming and they can also be um, shunning. I don't know if that's a good word. You know, I've been online and like car forums and stuff, and it's pretty chill. The the vintage mountain bike community can be pretty cutthroat. And, you know, initially... So stop stepping on my turf type of thing? Yeah, or, you know, sometimes when you do a restoration of a bike, you repaint it. Oh, so you destroyed the bike. You destroyed the bike. Right. And, uh, you know, I had a a pretty nasty rap for that early on. Meanwhile, you know, I didn't, you know, I mean, that was, to me, that was one way of restoring it. And and now I maybe have adapted a bit and I, you know, historic bikes, I won't repaint, but... um, but there's not a filter. There's not like a middle ground. And so it's sort of a trial by fire. Hmm. So, you know, I sort of weathered it, came out the other side and, you know, people like me or hate me, whatever. Um, but that was that was tough um, for sure. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, guys came in from, you know, a guy flew in from Seattle and not to see me or anything, right? But but to hang out. And so, you know, those kind of contacts are cool and nice. people I wouldn't have met otherwise. And then, yeah, riding some pretty awesome bikes, too. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that piece of it. Yeah. Like, the reward is being able to build one of these bikes back up and then finally pedal it. There, there have been a few that definitely, I mean, I had a shit-eating grin. I mean, the whole time. I mean, there was, like, this you know, full suspension Manitou that I just lusted after for years. I mean, that was, I literally had the poster of that bike on the wall in high school. And you know, there are 50 of them in the world, right? Most of them are broken. And, sure. and I got one from Doug, and I restored it. And it was, a, it was the last ride I did in LA was on that bike, and you know I just just loved it. I did not want to come home, and it was just such a thrill. And the whole time, you know, you're just sort of in the moment of, you know, you, it's not just you're out and riding, which is always fun, but it's this bike right now, and that was definitely fun. I mean, kind of the moment that you've achieved your goal. Yeah, yeah, and it was good, and it wasn't like, you know, a, you know, monumental disappointment where you're yeah. like, I've been waiting all this time for. This. This, yeah, right. I mean, it's just sort of like all all levels fulfilled, right? And, you know, a big check, and I still have it, so you know, still get to ride it. That's very cool. Yeah. You want to talk about your newest project you have coming up in the next uh, issue? Can you talk about it? <sighs> Is it? Yeah. Can you talk um, about so it? I, I'm going to try my hand at uh, talking about carbon. Um, okay. Which so I have a few. I just happened. You know, I was looking around the garage and I was like, holy crap, there are all these carbon bikes here. They're, they're not mine. They just happened to show up at my shop, air quotes, because I'm going to be doing some restorations on them. And they're like the earliest examples of carbon bikes. So um, it's an area that I don't have a lot of knowledge in because I didn't never had a carbon bike. But I don't know if you guys remember Kestrel. Mm-hmm. You know, they were very early to the... And again, I say carbon in air quotes because they were pretty much boats. Right. It was fiberglass with some graphite in it but they were really cool and Bass trimble. Bolts. Bass bolts with wheels. Yeah. I mean, they were literally like just compile, you know, um, uh, not, not graphite, but um, God, I forget what boats are made out of. Now, fiberglass. Fiberglass. Thank you. Yeah, I just said it. Um, but yeah, if you cut one open, I mean, it's fiberglass and it's just got graphite sprinkled in. But Trimble, I don't know if you guys remember Trimble. Mm-hmm. They no. made some funky bikes. Okay. 
and then that uh, carbon frame. So I'm going to try, uh, I think we're going to feature the carbon frames as the Be Kind Rewind, and then okay. that'll be sort of the intro into a sort of early history of carbon. And like that Yeti C26, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. another branch of a tree mm-hmm. that still people do it today, right? Firefly 7, yep. they'll yep. build you a tie lug mm-hmm. carbon tube carbon bike. Tube. Yep. And that's where that ben started. Serato was doing a lot of that. Yep. There's, yeah, there's a few folks that do that. And then, because I think that might resonate with people, right? Because today, so much is carbon and my so my sort of theory for the article would be that there was no reason for carbon back then because you couldn't really do a you know a triple triangle bike any better in carbon they tried and it just didn't there was no advantage right but with the advent of suspension and having these complex shapes and you know these linkages and everything like that i think that pushed it so i'm going to try to sort of lead into that of you know here's what they had before and like that trek y bike is one example mm-hmm. of things they tried so that's that's what i think we'll be trying for the next next issue and like a web series on that okay i was fortunate enough to ride one of the first kestrels yeah yeah it was a road bike but i uh-huh. was able to ride it it yeah. was like that was it was cool just to throw your leg over something that was new for its time and uh yeah that's that's my only vintage bike that I've ever been able to really pedal. But and I think there it made sense, right? Because you yeah. could get these super aerodynamic exactly shapes and carbon. Yeah. So in road, it made a lot of sense. Yep. And the loads were different, so you could get away with it. But like those Yeti C twenty sixes that yeah. Paul had, you know, that was liability. I remember talking to John Parker about it. That he was just like praying when Tomac rode it at the Downhill Worlds in ninety. That he literally, I think the quote from John was like, "Here's a guy that's worth a million dollars, and we're about to kill him." And oh, those bikes, they, they, and that, I, I think I think I have that quote right, where he was just like praying that that, that bike would survive the race. So why would Tomac ride it just to prove? Because it was the latest and greatest, and I think Easton was really. But if it's that trying. scary, I think it was unknown though too, was, right? Yeah. Right. Nobody, <laughs> right. nobody really knew. They, like yeah. they, I think for Julie Furtado, the, the, you know, she won the worlds famously on a C twenty six, right? Yeah. That is living in Colorado now, and and like she didn't get that bike until the night before, like the. The story goes, you know, Yeti was sponsored by Campagnolo, right? I guess, anyway, they were. And the Campy components were garbage. They were just so, so terribly bad. Mm-hmm. And she had a steel Yeti and the C26. They literally, like, drove it in the night before. And yeah. she, they built it with Campy for her. Uh, sorry, the day before. So she did a couple runs on the course at Purgatory. And she was just complaining about the Campy components. And so the bike was one day old. And the night before the Worlds, they stripped it and put all Shimano components on it. Um, and then she ended up winning the Worlds in just the breakaway. Um, but And that was the only time that bike was ridden. You know, she rode it twice, like literally two. I mean, maybe she had another little, you know, lap yeah, around right. or whatever. And, you know, Tomac had three of them. And um, I think they're mostly all accounted for. But you can see how they just come apart. Um, I had one of the original C26s that was hanging at Yeti. And you just, just pulled the tubes apart. I mean, they just didn't know. You know, that's... But again, that was the the lessons, right? And they only made 10, 11 of those bikes, and then they went to the alloy bikes, the ARC. Wait, they only made like 10 or 11 of those bikes that we just saw? Yeah. yeah that was Seriously? a replica um, oh, that was okay. made recently. So the tubes... All right. I was I'll gonna say, say, whoa. There are more of them now. They've more been made since okay. Yeti stopped making them, using okay. the old tube sets and hacking up old Yetis. So Chris Herding, who used to weld for Yeti and, and was the chief R&D guy, he you know, made a, a few of them since then. Um, so they're reissues or replicas. But yeah, originally there were only 10 or 11, and, you know, people will argue that to the end of the day, how many there actually were, but... <laughs> Are there other replicas being made like that? So somebody have, you know, custom other 
Is that a um, thing? Not. They did a much. bunch with the Schwinn like stingrays, but that yeah. was like, and they did a, a few of like the early um, uh, balloon tire bikes and so forth. But they were all, they were all made for like grandparents to walk into a store and be like, "Oh, I had that bike. I'm gonna buy yeah. that for my kid." All right, so not like this guy with his. Yeah, no. not to the same extent. Okay. You'll not that like, I'm aware of. No, you will see like paint job reissues, so Yeti for their. I don't know, 25th anniversary or something, they redid that iconic yellow yeah. turquoise dart. They'll do throwback the, versions. So like, they'll do yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know of any other... You know, some people make replica bikes. You know, some guy made a replica of Joe Breeze's Series 1 Breezers, which, you know, there are 10 of in the world. So he just made one. Okay. Um, so there's stuff like that. Tributes, maybe. Yeah. Um, but the C26 is the only one I know of that's it's just such an iconic bike for us vintage gearheads. Okay. And there's still those tubes. You can still find them. Okay. So people have made, and I actually am having one made. <laughs> um, so there are, you know, maybe twice as many replicas out there as there are originals. Um, and that's sort of, you know, tough too because now how, some people can't tell the right, difference. Right, right. And if you hadn't said that that was a replica, I wouldn't have known that. Right. Yeah. So who, um, who makes that for you then? You're getting one made. Who does that? So I actually have Chris Herding making it. The guy who originally made it is making me one. Um, so but that's other like people- double good yeah right that's yeah so that's the only way i would do it um but there there's a company in switzerland just recently that is making replicas you send them a yeti fro and they use modern carbon tubes um and they'll do the same thing but it's just some dudes in switzerland and you send them you know a frame and two and a half thousand euros yeah and out comes your c26 yeah and they can make them you know almost unlimited because it's just however many of these yeti fros can you find and there's thousands of those so it kind of cheapens the real thing in a way. You know, whatever. No beast of the east in your in your fleet. No Have beast you... of the east, but my Grove Hardcore has a 14-inch bottom bracket. Oh so... yeah, with 24 in the rear. No, no, it's 26. 26. Yeah, okay. That's right. The beast of the east had a 24 with the yeah. pepperoni fork. Yeah, yep. Yeah. No, What's the pepperoni fork? So, so Cannondale made this beast of the east, and they put a 24-inch rear wheel, 26-inch front before anybody was really dabbling in that because that also got dabbled 64 that dabbled in the in the downhill world for a while too um but the pepperoni fork was their like overbuilt super beefy steel fork for riding here riding in pennsylvania because it was bedford that's why they call the pepperoni fork i don't know that was just their name big tubes I don't okay. know. so it looked like a tube of pepperoni yeah I, don't, I mean I don't know I'm making that up right now but that's yeah. a good guess yeah because it was it was beefy where like you know you look at a Richie you know, the forks were like these felt little beautiful road bike you know okay. they were road bike blades well and if on. I remember correctly there wasn't so much of a um, of a um, gosh well I'm spacing the term right now um, it was more of a straight legged fork yeah I had time. a small curve at the bottom yeah okay. So. Well, all these different schools of thought early on. You had uh-huh. the, East, the, the West Coast guys that had slack geometries. You know, they used road tubing early on because they were riding fire roads. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, that was cool. And then you had the, the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic where you've got the rock gardens and gnarlier riding. And so you had guys like Chris Chance with Fat Chance, Cannondale right. Grove. Right. Different kind of bikes were coming out. I think that's part of why I also like it. There was so, I mean, now... So many different schools of so thought. Many, but, but they're ones that I remember. Whereas yeah. today, I mean, I really have had massive paralysis in trying to buy a modern bike, which I haven't done yet. And that's why this has been cool to work with Pivot and these guys. Well, can you that. talk at all about what you're working on with that? So there's... Um, it's also in the next issue. Um, I don't know how I'm supposed to talk about it. 
But um, well, when will the next issue be out? Is it, it should be pretty soon. I mean, it should be like imminent. Um, so this this your recording could be out after that, yeah. or you could just say you're doing a project to kind of look at the. the yeah. Basically, I'm going to be riding a modern bike, and a, a kid that's you know half my age minus four is riding a bike that's you know his mom's age yeah. basically, and and sort of talking about yeah, I think how that's that a good new came school across. meets old school, old school meets new school, right. right? You know, the kid was like, "What are these?" Just like I couldn't figure out how to do the dropper post. Like, I mean, I seriously spent minutes because I was expecting two shifters and a dropper lever, and then I was just like, just confounded by the fact that, the, how did I get the post up? And this kid was like, thumb shifters, like, what are these things? So that's that experience going both directions, and, you know, me getting out on a, you know, a super slacked out modern rig, and figuring out what that's about, and then him getting on a, you know, the exact yeah. polar opposite of a massive stem, and... You know, riding that, and and this this guy is pretty good, and so it was really interesting to see him, you know, ride this bike. So that that's kind of a different avenue for me and a whole new thing. But yeah, um, you know, I'm just getting into modern bikes. I mean, I have not ridden a modern bike up until a month right. ago. Right. So kind of learning all that and getting new confidence, new skills. You know. Yeah. So he's like that secluded mountain man who's <laughs> been off the grid for 25 years and now is exposed to the internet. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So there's very few of you that could do that. Yeah. Where you no, jump into I'm, something. I'm going to try to capitalize on it. Right. Time. Yeah. yeah. No. I, I think we could release that because that's a really good intro to find out what what thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, send that's me a perfect. Pro- I've never ridden a that's fat a bike. perfect promo for that that article. I mean, what else would you want? You know, so listeners yeah. can check out the next next issue. Yeah. 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 And then uh, and then I you know pivot has been nice to hook me up with one of their bikes and now I'm doing this like extended thing where I'm like coming to terms with it and because there's the shock. That's funny. And, coming to terms with it. Yeah. <laughs> well there's a sort of shock and awe of getting on the bike and brakes, tires, suspension, shifting. I mean it's all different and good and all that but you know it doesn't come with any of the confidence to use it. Right. You still have to kind of have you know, you just think, oh, I'm going to lean the bike and it's going to hold the line. Right. Yeah. It's a whole learning curve. I just right. think of those Geico commercials with the cavemen and they give, they put them in like normal, like uh, hour time situations. So you have yeah, these, right. like, He's like, you know, like the caveman wearing the Hawaiian shirt, like on vacation or whatever. That's what I, it's like. It's like he's coming to terms with like real stuff now. So it's interesting. I think it's really interesting because you I have the so. history and you can see where things have come and like you can, like, wow, this is. And it was just funny. I mean, cool it, was just, it was like a funny yeah. thing because the, the guy, you know, we went out for the ride and, you know, he has all this modern speak and he's like, ride like this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand. You and, can't do that. You'll die on this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm trying to tell him like how to like, you know, think about his shift points. And he's like, why, why? And I'm like, Cause you, it doesn't work like that. And <laughs> so it was just an interesting, you know, having the language and, and being able to really talk about it. So now I'm doing kind of a long term ride on the pivot. And, okay. you know, it's not trying to be a story about the pivot, but just no, you know, it's a bike that actually your- is a suitable transition for me and still learning how to ride. It and yeah, you know how to ride my trails and you know am I faster? Am I not faster? And, and so it'll be fun for a while because all your trails will be all new to you. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And then it, and then it'll be sad when I have to give it back. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna leave that without getting one. <laughs> like you're to gonna something. have to buy yourself a bike. You I'm know that. Have to buy myself a bike. Yeah, some right. some old bike is gonna have to be sacrificed right. to the to the new to right. the new school, which is a hard call, you know. But that's a, that's a good thing though because there's uh there's room for it all. And you're proof that there's room for it all because you're very embra- you're embracing the trying out a new bike and see what it's like. But yet you're 
your eyes light up every time you talk about this old stuff. So there's it's proof that there's room for it all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's it's been a fun adventure, and so now yeah, just trying to navigate the the new scene and see what to do with it, and I don't know. I look forward to reading the article. Cool. I, I hope you guys like it. Yeah. Just now having the, the background too, and yeah, yeah and seeing just, the facial expressions, and it's such a cool concept. Yeah. And then going back and forth is crazy. I mean, just to sort of cap it off. Yesterday I demoed a. Trail 49 and went out for an after hours ride and had an awesome time. I mean, for me, I shredded. It was it was killer. And I did the same lap on the on the Phoenix today. The first two turns off, just like right off the trail. And I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, right, right, right. I mean, literally, just like I was. You know, if you've been riding, you see the skid marks. No, that was me because I was just cooking it and yeah. just forgot. No, I don't have disc brakes and I don't have 2.6 inch tires. Right. And yeah, just like went right off. I was like, ah, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So Maurice was like, yeah, you better slow down. <laughs> so where else? Uh, just a recap for listeners. Where can people, and I'll put links in the show notes too, but where can people find you? Uh, so the, the Be Kind Rewind, obviously, um, that's sort of the, the new thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's in print, you know, every issue and yep. then online as well. And then uh, secondspincycles.com and then second spin on Instagram and Facebook. Is it spelled out like second or is it second? Two yes, yeah, yeah, S-E-C-O-N-D. Okay. Um, yeah, second spin. Don't confuse me with the CD chain um, yeah. on Instagram. Um, and then second spin cycles is the blog and okay. know, working on a new website, but between, you know, 40 bikes and yeah. magazine kids. stuff. It's kids, yeah, two kids. Wife. Yeah. Who's Wife, gonna be dog. mad at you for all the bikes that you have, apparently. Yep, yep. <laughs> now the kids fortunately seem to like them, so hopefully I've got oh, some riders good. on my hands. Yeah, yeah. cool. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll be fun. Well thank you. Yeah, Martin, this has been awesome. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. Glad you, you swung over. Yeah, yeah. I've been meaning to all weekend. All right. Well have a good day. Thanks, you yeah. too. <laughs>